Hello and welcome to Plus Plus, the podcast from Palantir.net, where we discuss what's new and interesting in the world of open source technologies and agile methodologies. I'm your host, George Demet. Today we'd like to bring you a conversation between Jill Farley, Ken Rickard, and Byron Duvall about the Cypress front-end testing framework. Cypress is a tool that web developers use to catch potential bugs during the development process. It's one of the ways we can ensure that we're building quality products that meet our clients' needs and requirements. So even if you aren't immersed in the world of automated testing, this conversation is well worth a listen. Without further ado, take it away, Jill, Ken, and Byron. Hi, I am Jill Farley from Palantir.net. I am a senior web strategist and UX architect. And today I'm going to be talking with two of my colleagues about Cypress testing. So I'll let them introduce themselves and then we'll just uh, have a nice casual conversation about it. Sure. I'm Ken Rickard. I'm senior director of consulting uh, here at Palantir.net. And I am Byron Duval. I'm a technical architect and senior engineer at Palantir.net. Well, thanks for sitting down and talking with me today, you guys. Um, We are going to maybe just start this off for anybody who doesn't know what Cypress automated testing is with a quick, maybe less technical uh, overview of it. So, Ken, what are Cypress tests in 60 seconds? In 60 seconds, Cypress is a testing framework uh, that is used to monitor the behavior of a website or app in real time within the browser. So it will let you set up test scenarios and record them and replay them so that you can guarantee that your application is doing what you expect it to do when a user clicks on the big red button. Nicely done. I did not time you, but that was brief enough. And to give a little context for why we're talking about this today, our technical team led by Ken just recently developed a virtual event platform for one of our clients. Actually, it was developed a couple of years ago. We've been iterating on it for a few years. And it's unique in that it debuts for a few really intense weeks each year. It's only live for uh, a couple of weeks and specifically hosts the event, this virtual event for four days, and then goes offline for the rest of the year. So we have to get it right. <laughs> and we specifically have to get it right for the tens of thousands of visitors over the course of that four-day event that are coming. So this year, we really went all in on Cypress testing to really ensure the success of the event. So Ken, I've heard you say we have 90% test coverage on this particular platform right now after the work that we've done. What does that mean? What does 90% test coverage mean? It means we can sleep at night. I think is what it means. What I mean when I say that is simply that uh, roughly 90% of the things that an individual user might try to do on the website are covered by tests. So I I joke a little bit about what happens when you press the big red button. I mean, we have big orange buttons on the website. And the question becomes, you know, what happens when you press that button? Does it do the thing we expect it to do? Also, the content and behavior of that button might change depending on whether or not we're pre-conference, we're during conference, or we're during a specific session in the conference. And that changes again post-conference. So we have all of these conditions 
that change the way we expect the application to behave for our audience. Um, I'll give you a simple example. During a session, the link of the session title, when you find it in, in a list, doesn't take you to the session page. It takes you to the video channel that's showing that session at that time. That is true for most sessions for a 30-minute window during the entire conference. Our testing coverage is able to simulate that so that we know, yep, during that 30-minute window, this link is going to go to the right place. So when we talk about that sort of 90% coverage, it means from an engineering standpoint or from a, even from a product management standpoint, you can look at the feature list and say, well, we have, you know, 300 features on this website and we have we can point to explicit tests for, you know, 270 of them. Now, those numbers I just made up, but that gets you the point. That sounds like an incredible amount of work to try to understand what to test and what types of tests to write. I'm actually going to go over to Byron for a second as a member of the development team. What was it like actually writing these tests and creating them and using them up front prior to them actually sort of doing their job and covering our bases? Be honest. If it was hard, let's let's talk about that. <laughs> it, it was interesting and it was different because we use a different language for the testing. Um, there's a lot of special keywords and things that you have to use in the testing uh, framework. And so just learning that uh, was a little bit of a, a curve. And then just the biggest issue I think we ran into with all of the testing was the timing of the test because the Cypress browser runs tests as fast as it can, and it runs it faster than a human can click on all of the things. So you start to see issues in the app doesn't have time to finish loading before the test is clicking on things. And so you have to really uh, work to make sure that you have all of the right conditions for for that to happen and, and everything loaded and uh, you have to specifically wait on things. So I think that was the most challenging part. Um, we usually had an idea of what we were looking for when we were uh, writing a piece of functionality, uh, what we were looking for it to do. Uh, that was kind of an easier part because we could uh, write the click commands and write the test for uh, what we're actually looking for in the uh, in the return uh, on the page. So that was the easiest part of it. The, the trickiest part was just that that whole timing issue. So Ken, how do we decide what to test? If we're doing hundreds of tests, is there ever really an end to what we can test or how do, how do you do that prioritization? There is a theoretical end because we could theoretically cover every single combination of possibilities. You go for what's most important and for what the showstopper bugs are. So for instance, three simple examples of the, the first tests we wrote actually. Test number one, do the pages that we expect to load actually load? And do they have the titles that we expect them to have when we visit them? Pretty straightforward. Test number two, those pages all exist in the navigation menu. Does the navigation menu contain the things we expect it to? And when you click on them, do they go to the pages we want them to? Also fairly simple. And then we start to layer in the complexity 
because some of those menu items and pages are only accessible to certain types of users, uh, certain types of conference attendees on the website. So you have to have a special permission or a pass to be able to see it. So test number three would say, well, we know that this page is only visible to people who are attending the conference in person. What happens when I try to hit that page when I'm not an in-person attendee? And does it behave the way we expect it to? So that's that's a pretty simple example. So we, we start from the sort of showstoppers, right? Because if someone has paid extra money for an in-person ticket, but I let everyone view that page or don't treat that in-person user as special in some way, we're going to have angry clients and, and angry attendees. So you sort of test that piece first. And then it's a question of, I would all argue, testing the most complicated behaviors first. Right? What is the hardest thing? What is the thing most likely to go wrong uh, that will embarrass us? And in that case, it's all, we have a whole bunch of functionality around adding and removing things to a personal schedule. And we counted it up in over because we have pre-conference, during conference, post-conference. There turned out to be 15 different states for every single session. And we have tests that cover all 15 of those states so that we know what happens when you do, like I say, click the, click the big button at the specific time. So that's, that's really how we break it down. Makes tons of sense. Sounds like those are both, I, it brings new meaning to coverage. It's We're not just covering uh, the functionality, we're kind of covering our butts too, making sure that, you know, we're not missing any of the big things that could really affect the attendee experience and the business, I guess, the business focus of the conference. Right. And the other thing to, that does two other things as well. It does let us focus on what the actual requirements are because there are times when you go to write the test and you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm not sure what this thing should do if I click on it. Let's go back to the project team and find out. And we did that a, a number of times. And then when you have something that's complex and time sensitive, the biggest risk you run from a development standpoint, I think, is oh, well, we fixed issue A, but caused issue B, <laughs> right? So uh, you get a bug report, you fix that bug, and it breaks something else. Well, good, complete test coverage helps you avoid that problem. Because we, we broke tests a lot. And you'd see a failing test, and you'd be like, oh, wait, that thing I just touched actually, inter you know, actually has effects on other parts of the system. And so... Having those pieces, again, give us a better product overall. So test failures could be a good thing in some cases. Very much so. I actually was reviewing someone's work this morning, and they had to change the test cases. And I don't think they should have based on the work they were doing. So I was reviewing the, the pull request, uh, and I said, hey, why did you change this? This this doesn't seem right to me because it indicates a behavior change that I don't think should exist. Byron, I want to ask you, I know that you were involved in some of the performance work um, on this particular platform. What do you think, well, did, did our Cypress test in any way prevent some performance disasters? Or do you think that it's mostly about functionality? Like what was, do the, do the two relate in any way? Uh, I, I don't think we 
had any tests that uncovered performance issues. I can't think of any specific example. Um, it was mostly about the functionality and it was about regressions, avoiding those regressions like Ken was talking about. Uh, you change one thing to fix something and then you break something else over here. Um, I, I don't think that we had any instances where a, a performance bug would have yeah. been uncovered. I, I would say every once in a while, so one of the things that Cypress does is it monitors everything your app is doing, including API requests. Um, and so I think it, in a couple of cases, caught where we were making duplicate requests. Uh, and so we had to refactor a little bit. Those are pretty small performance enhancements. So yeah, nothing, nothing big around infrastructure scaling or things like that, but it could catch a few things. Particularly, actually, I mean, if a test load, you talk, Byron, about tests loading slowly. It's like, oh, we have to wait for this, you know, this page to load. That can be indicative of a performance issue. Yeah, that's a good point. And then uh, the, the Cypress browser itself uh, will show you every request that it's making. So you can tell uh, if it's making lots of requests that you don't uh, believe it should be making uh, or if it's making them at the wrong times. Yeah, that, that could be a way to uncover something. But uh, it was really, uh, that's really completely separate from the tool that we use to, to test performance outside of those, those other clues that you might get from Cypress testing. So we've talked about Cypress testing and functionality. Can it test how things look, how things display? It, it can, but uh, it's, it's not a visual testing tool. It's not going to compare screenshot A to screenshot B, um, but we could write specific tests for uh, markup structure in the HTML. Like, you know, does this class exist inside this other class um, and it does have some tools for testing css properties which we use in a couple of cases uh, you'll you'll remember this jill are we using the right color yellow in one case uh, and so we have an explicit test for hey is this text that color yellow that's so that's the, that would have been the big disaster of the event is if it wasn't the right color yellow great right. so we, <laughs> we do have a few of those which are they are visual tests, but they are not visual difference tests. That's a different, that's a whole different area. Mm -hmm. But you can, you can write a test to validate that. Well, again, I'll go back to my, my example that the big orange button is in fact orange. Just a couple more questions. Let's start with the negative one. What are a few ways that going all in on Cypress testing this year, um, what are a few ways that it got in our way? Maybe something that we might do a little differently next time that could streamline this, or maybe it's just always going to get in our way, <laughs> but it's worth it. it. I think the answer is it, it can be painful, but it's worth it. So the, the fundamental issues we had, when we push things up to GitHub and then into CircleCI for continuous integration testing, we don't have as much control over the performance and timing of the Circle CI running of the app that we do when we're running it locally. So tests that pass routinely locally might fail on, on Circle. That took us a long time to figure out. There are ways to get around that problem, which we are using. The other big one is uh, to do tests properly, you have to have what are called 
data fixtures, which simply mean snapshots of what the website content looks like at certain points in time. And those fixtures are, I mean, they're called fixtures because they are fixed at a point in time. So those things should not change. But because we were coming from last year's version of this application to this year's, there was a point where we had to change the content in our fixtures. Um, we're actually about to hit that next week where we're going to go from the test fixture to test fixtures we were using to the new set of text uh, of fixtures, which is the actual data from the content, all of the sessions, all of the speakers, all of it. Updating that is a massive amount of work. So being able to rely on, if you're doing things like, hey, I want to test that Jill Farley's speaker name comes across as Jill Farley, we have to make sure that the content we have maps to that. Is it fair to say that incorporating this into our development process, again, it's worth it, but it slows it down? I don't think it overall slowed us down. I think overall it might have increased our efficiency. Yeah, I think it did just because it, it allows us to avoid a lot of manually point and click testing on things when we're developing. Uh, we can do some development, we can write a test, uh, or somebody else can write the test, and we can use that tool to do our manual testing while we're coding, instead of just sitting there and pointing and clicking and even creating test data. Uh, if, if we have the fixtures in there like Ken was talking about, then that's a big help as well. One of the things that did slow us down was being able to tell the difference between a timing or an expected failure versus or you know versus a um, an actual problem or regression with the code and there were instances where we did not notice which type of failure it was we changed the test but then we inadvertently broke something else in the app so we should have paid more attention to that specific test failure so i think when you're trying to troubleshoot a lot of different types of failures and timing failures and things that are maybe different on circle or just kind of fail intermittently, uh, trying to figure out whether that's a real problem or not is a, uh, it can slow you down and then it can also kind of defeat the purpose of testing it as well. Right. But in normal operation, which we're in, I would say 90% of the time we're in normal operation. It just means, Oh, we're, you know, on this piece of work we're doing, we're changing this one thing, and that's the only thing I have to look at because we can trust the tests cover everything else. So, okay, nothing else broke. Do we have a good new test for this thing that just got added? The, the, yeah, sometimes I do pull request reviews without actually checking the code out and running it locally because I can just look at it and be like, okay, I, I see what you did here. I see what you're testing here. You didn't break anything. Okay. And that's fine. And that's that's a great feeling, actually. This is a, probably the last question. We've talked a lot about the benefits to the development process and kind of gotten into the specifics of how to do it. I'm curious, for anyone who's considering incorporating this into their process, what, what are the key, you know, kind of maybe two to three benefits from a business perspective um, or a client perspective, why why take the time to do this? Um, I actually can think of one from a business side. Um, I was sort of the delivery manager on this project 
just in layman's terms, the manual QA process on the client side, once we sort of demoed this work to them was so much shorter. I mean, last year when we weren't doing this, there was a lot more pressure on sort of the, the human point and click testing, like Byron was saying, not just on our development team side, but on the client side. So as they're reviewing the functionality and really testing our work and seeing if it's ready for prime time, the development of the Cypress testing process really decreased the amount that we found during more of the final QA phases, which again, it was really nice to sort of sit back at that point and say, yeah, we've, we've covered all of our bases. So Ken, what would you say is are the biggest business benefits to incorporating Cypress testing into a, a product? The biggest business benefits, I would say, are you get better definition of what a feature actually does. Uh, because the developers have to be able to implement a test that covers that feature. Um, so that gets uh, a good feedback loop going with the product team around definition. I think the biggest thing that gets projects off schedule is either new feature requests that come in at inappropriate time or regressions caused by work, right? Okay, so we're doing something complicated you know, and we, we made one change and it accidentally broke a whole bunch of things that we didn't know about. And you were on the project in years past and we didn't have test coverage and you saw that happen. It's like, wait a minute, this used to work, now it doesn't. We don't have to deal with that anymore. So, I mean, those are the big ones. It, it also occurred to me, you know, you're talking about for the client. One of the nice things about Cypress is it actually records all of the tests that it runs and spits out video files. We didn't share those with the client, but we could. We, we could literally send those to the client and be like, okay, we just finished this feature. Here's how it plays, right? Hey, did, did and this would actually be a great piece of, of feedback for next, next time, which is, hey, we just finished, you know, the in-person portion. Here's, here's the test file for it. Can you make sure this covers all your scenarios? Watch the video and be like, okay, it clicked this, then it clicked that. That kind of potential is huge from a business standpoint because it, it allows us for all kinds of asynchronous testing mm -hmm. and review. It's funny because when you play back the Cypress videos, you literally have to tell them to play it at like a quarter speed <laughs> because, because otherwise you can't follow them. Yeah, so that question I had about uh, does this slow us down, it sounds like we make up the time. Oh, we definitely make up the time. We, yeah, most definitely. Again, just in in catching regressions okay. is huge. So business benefits, we've got saving the client time and heartache on the final QA. We've got getting a, to a better definition of what a feature does, safeguard against regression. Byron, do you have any other thoughts on the sort of business benefits of Cypress? I think that pretty well sums it up. I don't think I would add anything to that list. That's a pretty comprehensive. I mean, it's a little selfish. I think it made us better developers yeah. because you have to think through all of the implications of things. Well, I think that's a, a great statement to end this conversation on. <laughs> you both feel as though you're now better developers because of this experience. Thank you both. Hopefully this gave everyone sort of a an idea of how we went about it the benefits, some of the things to plan for, and a little bit of how to, of how to approach introducing this into your process. So thank you both so much for your time and uh, happy Cypress testing.
And thank you to Jill, Ken, and Byron for a great conversation. If you're curious to learn more, just check out our website at palantir.net or follow us on Twitter at Palantir. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. Until then, take care and goodbye.